Well, again, good morning, everyone. Nice to see you. Nice to have the sun shining. Would you agree? Maybe that helps sing a little bit, helps us sing a little bit more easily this morning. I want to begin by showing you something um, from, from my beginnings. Um, check this out. This is where I grew up. South uh, and east of here, uh, and you've heard me talk before, in the middle of nowhere. And this will give you a sense of just how true that is. Um, in fact, most of the houses uh, on Google Earth here are uh, houses that have been built in the last 20 years since, or, well, yeah, 20 years or so. I'll be generous and say 20 years uh, since, since I lived here. Uh, this was a pretty special place to grow up. Um, at least that's my memory of it in terms of where it was. We couldn't see another house. There were houses around, but um, we couldn't see any of them. And as the oldest of four boys, um, you know, that, that made for a pretty decent place to explore and run. And I have pretty fond memories of it. What you couldn't tell in that picture is that at the back end of kind of what our property was, was a, a river. A, not a creek, like a full-fledged river was the northern boundary of our property. And we would go the half a mile back from our home, so our property was narrow and deep. Um, we'd go that half a mile back, and we'd play in that river and run around in that area. But one thing that's interesting about living, at least where we lived, um, the, the part of the world that we were growing up, is that um, quite often people chose to use the outdoors as their uh, landfill, as their place to dump whatever they no longer wanted. I mean, we didn't have garbage service growing up, so we, I sh you know, this isn't great, but it's what happened. We burned our trash. That was very common out there. And if you had something that couldn't fit in the burn barrel, you just threw it wherever you know, you kind of want it. Now, if you were trying to be a little more organized, you might try and dump it in a place that's out of sight, and therefore out of mind. But what that meant was that as we would wander around in the woods, we'd stumble on all sorts of things, like rusted car frames, you know, big old metal barrels, which contained I don't know what, and maybe I'm glad to have never discovered what. We'd find documents from people's homes, mail discarded, magazines. And then I remember finding one day while we were near the river, a bunch of containers of various household chemicals and cleaners. You know, Mostly empty, but not completely. And I remember, I don't know how old I was, you know, 12, 13 years old knowing enough to know that this wasn't the way that it was supposed to be. There was something that wasn't quite right about stumbling on this pile of discarded trash in the middle of the woods. And so from kind of early on in my life, because of living where I lived, I, I started to wonder from time to time about this relationship that human beings have to the created world. 
and how the decisions that we make uh, as we go about our lives impacts quite, at times, quite significantly uh, the creation itself. Now, probably five minutes after stumbling on that pile of trash, I moved on to, you know, shooting my brothers with some sort of, de you know, device real or imagined, right? Um, I'm not trying to imply that I was philosophically contemplating these deep things for most of my childhood, but it began early for me, this question about our relationship. It's interesting as we think about Sabbath here, and again, as I mentioned a moment ago, we've talked about time and work and relationships. I think Sabbath also has something to say to us about this relationship between us, part of the creation, and the rest of the created world. And we, we see this uh, right away in the first introduction or the first commandment of Sabbath to us. This is uh, Exodus 20. We've probably read this every week. This is from the Ten Commandments, commandment number four. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day... No one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. And two little words there that I think we very quickly could just read past, and it's your livestock. Why are they included? It's interesting, isn't it? Could have easily not been included, but there, there they are. And they have the same command. They are included in this command to rest. As we read on in the Old Testament, there are lots of places that talk about Sabbath. And there's another one that has something to say about more than just the animals needing a rest. And it's found in Leviticus 25. Uh, let me read part of that here. While Moses was on Mount Sinai, the Lord said to him, so this is a, a record of that time when Israel's getting the Ten Commandments, but it's after the Ten Commandments have been given. Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you've entered the land I am giving you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. For six years you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops. But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. It goes on. And don't store away the crops that grow on their own or gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. The land must, is God being clear here? The land must have a year of complete rest. But you may eat whatever the lamb produces on its own during its Sabbath. This applies to you, your male and female servants, your hired workers, and the temporary residents who live with you. Your livestock and the wild animals in your land will also be allowed to eat what the land produces. So we have this weekly Sabbath rhythm. Every six days of work is followed by a seventh day of rest. And if the people who lived in that day and time, certainly in a primarily agrarian culture. If the people rested on the seventh day, then guess what that meant? The land got rest as well. So every week there's a rhythm, and now we read in Leviticus that every seven years there's to be a Sabbath 
year, six years of work and a year of rest. And notice that in the seventh year, human beings are allowed to work. Did you, did you notice that? This is interesting to me. God doesn't say, hey, in the Sabbath year, you shouldn't, you shouldn't like, carry out your businesses. God doesn't say you shouldn't take care of your livestock or mend the fence or... None of that is there. Human beings are allowed to work. It's what that gets the rest. <laughs> it's the land. Hmm. So that's, that's interesting, I think. It goes on, though. There's more. <laughs> and these are probably, you, you and I, I'll include myself, how about this? I don't spend a lot of time in Leviticus. Maybe that's true for you, too. So we don't come across these passages a whole lot, okay? But it goes on. This is now verse, verse 8. In addition, you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. Then on the Day of Atonement, in the 50th year, blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. The 50th year will be a jubilee for you. During that year, you must not plant your fields or store away any of the crops that grow on their own and don't gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. It will be a jubilee year for you and you must keep it holy. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own. In the year of Jubilee, each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors. Wow. A couple of things, uh, maybe just to briefly note here. One thing that's supposed to happen in this Jubilee year is reunification. In that day and time, if you had a debt you couldn't pay, what you often would be forced to do would be to give up your land as payment for your debt. The Jubilee year hits the reset button on all of that. So that if you had to give up your land in order to pay for a debt at one time, you know that in 50 years you will be reunified with that land. And this is so important because... The land meant, the land was a relationship that people had. We own land today. I don't know that we tend to think about the land that we have as something we have a relationship with, at least not primarily. In Israel, this is the way they would have thought of it. This is part of our collective clan. This is part of who we are. Our part of our identity is very much connected to this particular parcel. So there's reunification happening, and there's, again, rest. I think, uh, as I mentioned a number of weeks ago now, Israel seems to think about time in a very cyclical way. We tend to think of time in a linear fashion. But think about what we've just quickly uncovered here. Every week there's a, a cycle, six days of work and a day of rest. And then there's six years of work and a year of rest. And then there's these 49 years and a year of jubilee. That's the intention. That's God's intention. You might be interested to know, and I, I tried to do as much like checking on this as I could and 
plenty of like really smart people in the room here. So if someone knows something that I don't, and I'm wrong about this, just like say so. But my what I understand is that the Sabbath year, every seven years, a year of rest, was practiced very limitedly in Israel's history. And I don't think we have evidence of the Jubilee being practiced. I guess it's not to say that it didn't happen, but if it did, somehow it didn't make it into what we have today. And it probably, therefore, if it did happen, didn't happen often. I wonder why. (laughs) This takes such trust. It takes such a a humility. Uh, One thing we do know about Sabbath year is that um, because debts were to be forgiven on that seventh year and in the Jubilee year as well. So what people would do if they knew that someone was coming to them in the sixth year, right, and they needed money, and they were going to ask for a loan, they wouldn't give it to them. And there's some evidence of this in the scriptures. And so, um, because they wouldn't be able to really make much of a profit on it, right? There was no time for them to get back interest on, on the loan, and they knew they'd have to forgive it. So, This is God's intention. Israel seems to struggle with it. I think we do too. Um, Not in the same way. You probably didn't grow up being taught you should have a jubilee year. Um, But this idea that the earth needs to rest, I, I don't think that idea is very much in our kind of cultural milieu. I don't think that's very present. I think what instead is much more common is the idea that you and I, as people, must work always, and the land must work as well, always. That the land is something to leverage for our benefit. It's something we should use however we see fit in order to get whatever we want. I think these verses seem to point us in a different direction. Here's what I'm going to suggest is the the default orientation, or a default orientation, is to see the creation as a commodity. A number of weeks ago, we talked about how we, in our culture today, often see time as a commodity. Time is money, right? An object to leverage. I could have talked about over the last couple weeks about how we often see people as a commodity. It's true. How can I leverage that relationship? How can I say the right thing in this conversation in order to get something out of that person? I mean, that's, that's an objectification of a person, and we objectify people in lots of other ways. I think we do this with creation as well. We tend to see it as this, this thing to maximize and to leverage for our benefit so that we might get more of whatever it is that we are looking for. The one, one kind of antidote of this is the way in which we talk about the creation. We often refer to it as a natural resource, right? Interestingly, I also, for 
a lot of years worked in human resources. Clues, I think, uh, that language is a clue into the way that we think about those two things. Again, as objects, as commodities. And I just am curious, like, what does that do to us and to our relationship with the world when we see it as a thing to maximize? Especially when, as we read a moment ago, the creation, as Scripture sees it, well, what does the creation, what does Scripture do with creation? I mean, often I think it seems to personify it. Creation has a voice. Creation laments. Creation groans. Creation longs for. Isn't that interesting? You know? Well, maybe not. I, I think it's kind of interesting that this natural resource that we quickly turn into a thing, scriptures often talk about in relational, with relational language. The trees clap their hands <laughs> and the stars pour forth speech, you know. In the scriptures, creation is not a commodity to exploit. I would suggest to you that the reorientation that the scriptures and Sabbath are trying to do is to help us see creation as a gift. A gift to look after, a gift to care for. Now, I grew up uh, with a, a certain version of Christianity that definitely saw the creation as a commodity. Which is so strange because as I'm talking out loud, I'm like processing this with you, which maybe is a bad idea in a sermon. But it's like, huh, because my dad, my dad is the one who moved us to that piece of property I showed you. Because my dad was a big outdoors person. And yet, my dad was also very much a part of a, again, certain version of Christianity that felt like it was fine to do whatever you wanted to do to the creation. And I would, so I often heard things like, hey, in Genesis 1, we're told that we can rule the birds of the air and the fish and the things that scurry on the ground. I love that little line there in creation. Um, we can have dominion, some translations put it. We have dominion over these things. We rule or we reign over them. It's true, that is in Genesis 1. But I think a good question to ask ourselves is, if, if we're ruling and reigning over something, who are we hopefully ruling and, ruling and reigning like? Hopefully, our rule and reign is like that of God's, and who is God? Someone who just uses the things of creation for God's own bidding? I, you know, it doesn't quite line up. Um, but people have often pointed to Genesis 1 and said, hey, that is reason to kind of do whatever we want. Whatever we want. I would then also point to Genesis 2, in which Adam is first given the responsibility of the, the words there are to tend and to care for the earth. Tend and care. Those are not exploitative words. Those are very caring. Uh, tend and care. Yeah, very caring words. It checks out, you know. Someone in my upbringing, though, would say, but Genesis 3, the fall happens, the fall, the, the, the fracturing of our relationship with God and with each other and with the land, and that's, that is in Genesis 3. It is. 
Uh, Adam is cursed with uh, like this life of toil with the earth. But if, even if that is true, that we now have a fractured relationship with the earth, that doesn't mean we just throw up our hands and say, well, I guess then we do whatever we want to it, right? I don't know. I, I grew up kind of with this way of thinking uh, of the creation as a commodity. So do what you want. I'm just not sure that is what is actually there in the scriptures. I think what we're often, or I think what we are told to do is to be in a relationship, to see the creation as a gift. A gift to tend and care to, and a gift to enjoy. Isn't that what you do with gifts? Hopefully, if it's a good gift. <laughs> if it's a good gift, you enjoy it. And I think that's exactly what is to be the case with creation. We're meant to enjoy it. The rabbis, uh, if you don't know Jewish kind of tradition and, and ways of approaching the scriptures, the Jewish people are excellent at just ruminating and wondering and stewing over the scriptures and reaching different viewpoints and ideas and offering this possibility. I and mean, they, they're much more free, it seems, than at least uh, a, a lot of Christianity today. So they wonder, like, what's God doing on day seven? What, what is God, the divine, doing on a day of rest, you know? And a lot of rabbis say, well, we, we kind of have a clue in the first part of Genesis 1, because every time that God creates something, it's like, God, it's like, that is good, you know, right? That is good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And so a lot of rabbis suggest that what God is doing on the seventh day of Sabbath is just delighting in creation. Just enjoying what has been made. And when you think about it, if you were to take a, a period of time, I know we don't have like 24-hour Sabbaths anymore, but let's just imagine you had an afternoon of Sabbath and you did not do any work We've got to think about what we mean by work very carefully. We've been trying to do that in this series, right? I'm not just talking about what you get paid to do if you have a, an employed job. Work can mean a lot of things. So you've got to define what work means, but let's say you had an afternoon, this afternoon where you did no work. What else is there to do then but enjoy? What else is there to do? except the things that you really like doing, the things that bring you delight. And so I think this gift that we've been given is meant to be tended and cared for. That is a responsibility. And it's meant to simply be enjoyed. So let me ask a couple of questions as we kind of wind down here. How could your Sabbath include the enjoyment of creation. In order to answer that question, you have to probably first have some idea of what a Sabbath practice might mean for you. 
We've been trying to give some space for us to think about that a little bit. And I'm not suggesting to you that your Sabbath practice must include creation, but maybe it's worth considering. Oh, I'm not a nature person, though. You know, I like running water and electricity. Thank you very much. You, know? <laughs> you don't have to be, like, backpacking the Appalachian Trail to enjoy creation or to somehow include it in your Sabbath practice. You know what I love to do? I love to read a good book. That is so enjoyable to me. It's so meaningful to me. I get done. I feel refreshed. Well, I don't know. What if you, a crazy idea, and this is very much off the top of my head, so it might be a bad idea, but what if you grabbed, do you have a plant in your home? You don't have a plant in your home? Well, why don't you go buy a plant, a flowery, uh, something you find beautiful, and why don't you put it right next to you while you read your book? Chances are you'll probably glance at it. You might even find yourself in awe at its beauty or wondering at its complexity. See, I don't, I don't think this means that you've got to go and backpack for seven days, right? But how does creation maybe work its way into your Sabbath routine? And then how might that draw you closer to the Creator? This is the ultimate point. You know, possibly. Could it be that when we enjoy creation, when we enjoy the sunshine reflecting off of the lake, or read a book under a canopy of trees, or enjoy an afternoon walk in the park with friends, could it be that we become more aware of and more connected to the one who made it all? As a boy wandering through the fields and forests of 11967 108th Street. We discovered all sorts of things, like snake grass. I don't know if that's the technical term, but this is, these are these long, tubular, green, and they kind of grow collectively in forests, usually, I think, in the shade only. But they look kind of like a snake standing straight up. And I remember being mesmerized by them. And then we'd, of course, yank them out, because you must as a boy, uh, as a child, as a, as a person exploring the world. We'd yank them out, and then we would use them as straws to drink out of the river. Probably not advised, but this is what we did, right? Right? It's, it explains a lot. Yes, it does. I, I understand. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting on the edge of the river and just wondering about the, the very, very obvious fact that there was always water flowing by. I thought, how is that possible? Where's this water coming from? <laughs> and it's always flowing. Whether I'm here or not, whether I'm sleeping or awake, there's always this movement of life. In the springtime, we would tap trees and collect this slightly sweet sap, right? And then later it would make its way to our pancakes. I remember just, not the whole time that we were collecting sap, most of the time I was quite unhappy that we were doing this very laborious project. But every once in a while, I, I would just be in awe 
find myself again wondering, how is it that water is traveling from root to the top and we're somehow driving a thing into the tree and it's collecting it and then it, it becomes this really delightful treat? Just the, wow, wow. See, I think as the psalmist tells us, right, creation has a voice. And that voice beckons to you and to me. Look, listen. This world is alive with grace and love. The fingerprints of the divine are everywhere. Look, listen. Because this gift of creation is inviting you to know its creator. It is calling you into communion. And maybe one of the simplest things that Sabbath does is it creates space where we are moving slowly enough that we can actually hear this call. If our lives are only work, 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 run, 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 chase, 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 then the, the voice of creation becomes background noise at best. And it becomes a commodity at worst. I think Sabbath invites us to remember again what a tremendous gift we've been given. To tend and care for it and enjoy it. And in enjoying, enjoy the one who made it. We're going to do a little bit of that here as we share communion together this morning. 